We are in a conversation called What If, and we're talking about the meaning of life. We thought we'd just put together a small little conversation that was easy to talk about, so we decided to talk about the meaning of life. And uh, we're asking what if, what if the meaning of life is different than what we've been taught that it is? What if the meaning of life is not uh, you only go around once or get out of life all that you can? What if life is eternal? What if we're on the planet to invest ourselves and that investment will echo through eternity? What if God has a different design and if we took that design and plugged it into our life equation, how would that cause us to live differently? So we've been having this conversation for several weeks. I encourage you, if you've missed, missed parts of it, uh, go to our website or open up the app, hit messages, it's right there, and listen to it. I, re- I really believe if you listen to this kind of from beginning to end, that it really will be life-changing because we're putting some very different cards on the table. There's more than one way to live your life. And so the scripture lays out some really, really neat things that would not necessarily um, come to us naturally. And I encourage you, I dare you, I double dog dare you to investigate that and see uh, how God might use that in, in your life. Uh, this weekend, I want to conclude our conversation on what if, and uh, I want to I want to um, do that by kind of continuing uh, or concluding the conversation about the spiritual growth kind of spectrum. So we've been looking at this graphic a lot uh, throughout the series. And we said that in a very broad scale, this is how we grow uh, spiritually, right? So uh, the dotted outline, that's before Jesus. The Bible says, before I come to Christ, that I am dead in my, in my trespasses and sin. I'm in darkness. And the Bible says every human being uh, falls short of the glory of God. Every human being has, uh, is going to receive the, the wages of sin is death, right? So that's true of everybody. And the Bible says that's how we live. Once we interact with Christ, that can change. So when I interact with Christ and I look and say, there's a loving God who's out to save me, he's not out to get me, I can talk to that God. He will, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And in making that decision, I'm deciding to live for the one who died for me. I receive my salvation. The Bible says that when I do that, Jesus' words, he says, I'm born again. That's the way Jesus describes it. So I'm born from death to life, from darkness to light. I'm a new creation. I'm born again. And that's where spiritual growth starts. So I can't grow spiritually until I'm spiritually alive, and it's only Christ who can resurrect me and allow me to do that. So the Bible says this, that when I'm born again, the biggest thing that a spiritual infant recognizes is that I'm not going to hell anymore. And by the way, that is fantastic news, right? Like I'm not, there's, God is not out to get me. He's out to love me, and I'm not going to hell anymore. And if you've been a, a follower of Christ for three months, six months, you know, maybe a year, and, and that still always like, yeah, it kind of blows your mind a little bit, I would say to you, you are exactly where you need to be spiritually, that that's the first thing that we download, that God loves us, he doesn't, he, he doesn't hate us, and he's out, to, he's out to rescue us, he's not out to condemn us. That's his fantastic news. And that's the first step of like our spiritual awareness. But babies don't stay babies, right? So I'm gonna grow spiritually, and as I move from spiritual infancy to spiritual childhood, what registers with me is that I'm a student of God. I'm reading God's word, 
I'm discovering God's truth, I'm discovering God's heart and God's mind, and all of that is kind of downloading into my life. Man, I didn't know that, I didn't know, the, I didn't know I was supposed to love my enemy. I didn't even know that was in the Bible. I didn't, this whole like live generous thing, I didn't know that was in the Bible, right? And so I'm learning this information about God and I'm humbly accepting the word planted in me is the way the Apostle James says it. So I'm downloading uh, the heart and the mind of God. And if you're a year or two or three years old in your, your interaction with God, maybe four years, and you're still like discovering this stuff and man, I didn't know and all oh, that's why God says that, then you are right where you need to be spiritually. That's a great place to be, and it's a, it's a natural uh, part of your progression of faith. But babies don't say babies, kids don't say kids. We grow into spiritual adolescence. We become a teenager. It's the next step. And the idea of a spiritual adolescence is that Jesus is becoming Lord, and I am his servant. So I'm going from a hearer of the word to a doer of the word. I'm taking this information I'm getting from God and it's actually now changing my actions. It's changing my speech. It's changing the way that I function. And I'm doing the things that God tells me to do. I'm serving Christ the way that he tells me to serve him. But, right? Babies don't say babies. Kids don't say kids. Thankfully, teenagers don't always say teenagers. You finally grow into maturity. And I am now a a fully mature follower of Jesus Christ, and this is what happens with this. As a follower, a mature follower of Jesus Christ, I become a co-worker of Christ, which means this, I now value the things that Christ values. I now live for the things that Christ lives for. I now invest myself in the way that Christ invested himself. My life is defined and directed by Christ, and one of the biggest parts of that is I help other people now follow Christ, or what God calls, I become a minister of reconciliation. I help sinners know that there's a loving Savior who wants to to, uh, interact with them, and I help them reconcile or be made right with God. That's what Jesus did. We're reconciled to God through Christ, and that becomes the driving Uh, force in my life, the driving definition of who I am, okay? So in this series, we've been talking about this far end of spiritual depth, and this weekend, I'm I'm gonna take you really deep into this and talk about how do we in real time co-labor with Christ? What would that look like if we were going to co-labor with Christ? And if you've been a, a follower of Jesus for five plus years, this is where you need to be, all right? And just letting you know, it's where you need to be. And you need to aspire to it, you need to lock into it, and these deeper things need to become the driving features of our lives, okay? So we'll dig at this a little bit. Now, let me uh, kind of warn you a little bit. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet this weekend, what the Bible is gonna describe to us is the ideal Christ follower, So as I go through this, you're going to look and say, I know some Christ followers, and they're not like that. You know, sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. And I would say, right, because becoming like Christ is a part of maturity. So the deeper I go in my relationship with Christ, the more I realize I need to become like Christ. So you're never going to find, the only person that was the ideal Christ follower would have been Jesus, and he didn't have to follow himself, right? So he's our example, and we're seeking to become like him. But 
what you'll find is the parts of Christianity that you really respect and long, and long for and appreciate are found in this conversation. They're found in the deep sides of that, okay? Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, I'm gonna just warn you ahead of time, this is gonna mess with your mind, okay? You're gonna be like, whoa, Advil, bad, right? You're gonna need it. Because where we're gonna go, I found this happening to me. The more that I pushed into this, getting ready to have this conversation, the more I found myself resisting it. Because what God's gonna teach us this weekend for the most part, is going to cut against our natural instincts as people and our culture as North Americans, okay? So there is not a culture that mimics Christ. Every culture has to yield to Christ. This one, I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't do that, God. And, and God was kind of like, you do now, right? You know, so it, it's gonna be hard and you're gonna have to open up your mind and get your, your guard down a little bit and I think every one of us is going to walk out of here saying, man, I gotta, I'm going to have to give Christ some different latitude in my life in order to actually be this way, because it doesn't come natural to us. Okay, so it's going to be a big conversation, but it's going to be awesome because we're going to learn how to co-labor with Jesus. Grab your Bibles. First Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to be. It's page 851 in those Bibles in the chairs. First Peter chapter 2, page 851. And uh, if you want to use your phones, grab the Grace Church app, hit live, all the notes and everything are right there. All right, here we go. So we've been talking about 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, a bunch throughout this series. So let's just start there, verse 9, chapter 2, 1 Peter. And Peter, what he does here, the Apostle Peter, he defines who we are, right? So he says this, verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, right? But you, who's the you? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have looked to Christ and said, I admit that I'm a sinner, I believe that you're the only savior, will you forgive me of my sins? And when you forgive me my sins, I'm committing to live for you who died for me. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are the you, okay? You are the you, but you, who's you? You are, right? So you are the you. You, Peter says, your identity has changed. You once were an object of God's wrath. Now you're an object of God's mercy. You once were an individual. Now you're a people. You've been called out. You're the church, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. So when I accept Christ, I become a part of the church. If that is you, the you is you, and this is who you are now, and this is what is to define you. And then what Peter does next is just fascinating. He looks at you, the priesthood, the holy nation, the chosen people, and he says, if you want to be an ambassador for Christ, as if Jesus himself were making the appeal, if you want to co-labor, if you want to do the ministry and proclaim the message of reconciliation, this is how it's going to work in a godless culture. Every culture is godless because every culture is human in its origin. So every culture is godless. So this is how it's going to work in a godless culture. If you want to proclaim the message of reconciliation, then you model your life after the messenger, after Christ. 
and the way that Christ proclaimed his message of reconciliation is very, very different, basically the opposite of how you or I would instinctually think to do it, okay? So Peter digs into this a little bit. Look at verse 11, chapter 2. He says this. Remember you, the you is the you. Here you go. He says, dear friends, I urge you, chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether it be the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing something wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. And there's a ton there that the apostle Peter unpacks. And he's describing, he's teaching, he's showing us how to model Christ in a culture that does not appreciate Christ And in doing so, we become effective ambassadors, proclaimers of the message of reconciliation, okay? So you, the priesthood, the chosen people, first thing he says is this, verse 11, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, let's just stop here for a minute. If I'm going to co-labor with Christ to proclaim his message, right, and to do the work of helping other people know Christ, I have to keep my head and my heart in the right place. And what Peter does here is he says, this is how you should think about your life. You, the chosen people of the royal priesthood, you must remember that in this earthly culture, in this world, you are a foreigner and you are an exile, okay? Uh, The little church I grew up in, we used to sing this old song, and it said, uh, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, right? Right? And that's very much the idea. The, the biblical idea of a foreigner is this, that, that I, am, I am a resident. I, I'm a temporary resident, a temporary visitor. And when I'm a foreigner someplace, I am a, I'm at a place that I do not live, that does not define me, does not direct me. I am passing through that place. And the, Peter says, if you are the you, then you need to think of yourself that way in your earthly culture. No earthly culture is to bound the Christian, right? I am bound to Christ. I'm a citizen of heaven. 
I'm a part of Christ's kingdom, and that is the primary definer of my life. So I am an American second or third. I'm not primarily an American. I'm not primarily an Ohioan. I'm not primarily an individual. I'm a part of the body of Christ. I am primarily a citizen of heaven. Now, that teaching and that reality showing up in the people of God is something that petrifies authorities, right? You ever notice if there's a totalitarian government, one of the first things they do is try to stamp out Christianity, right? They'll take the Bibles, just read history, it's all over the place, right? They'll outlaw Christianity. Why? Because they realize this, if I do not think of, if I do not draw my identity from my earthly culture, then my earthly culture has no way to control me. If I'm a citizen of heaven, and I think of my time on earth as temporary, then there's no way for that earthly culture to control me. So if you came to me and tried to control me as a follower of Christ, and you said, listen, you, you, better, you better do what we say, and you better forsake what the scripture says, or you're going to lose your job. We would look and say, all right, all right. You're not my provider, Christ is my provider. I'm not afraid to lose my job. I don't find my security in you. I find my security in Christ. He said that he would never leave me or forsake me and that he would meet my needs. I trust that. You better, you better be quiet and, and quit telling people about Christ or you're going to go to jail. That's all through the Bible. That's all through history. Locking up Christians for being, proclaiming the message. You're going to go to jail. I'm going to take your freedom away. Okay. You can't take my freedom. I don't find my freedom from you. I find my freedom in Christ. If you put me in jail, I'm just going to do in jail what I was doing out here. In fact, that would probably help because they can't get away from me. Right? It's, it's just going to serve to advance the gospel. That's what the Apostle Paul said. That, that doesn't scare me. Well, you better knock it off. You better conform. You better convert. Or we're going to take your life. This is happening all through the Middle East right now. You better convert. You better, we're going to take your life. Okay. I'm not afraid to die. I actually believe that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I, I believe that my life here is just a vapor. I'm, I'm a foreigner. I, I, your, your threats do not scare me. And you look over all of history, this happens again and again and again and again and again. And the you, the people, the priesthood, there's no fear in that. Because of how we would view our culture and view our home. So Peter says, yeah, don't forget you're a foreigner and an exile. The idea of an exile in the Bible is that you're a stranger. That you're always going to be a little bit on the outside of the culture looking in. If, you guys, anybody, if anybody here aspires to be a pastor, let me tell you a little something that's going to happen in your life. As a pastor, one of the, one of the things you get to do is you get to be the cosmic buzzkill of any party that you go into, right? It's just the way that it is, right? So you, everybody's having a good time. You show up. They start confessing your sins and talking about the Bible, right? It's just the, it's just the way that it is, right? It's no big deal. And, and it's, it's, you, you always, you're always like, yeah, I'm a little, they'll probably start having fun if we'll leave, you know, kind of thing. So we're, Peter's saying, yeah, that's, that's the way it is. Because any environment you walk into, that's an earthly culture. Where, where sin is the, the fun, you're going to be an exile in. 
where materialism is the drive, you're going to be an exile in. Where, where uh, sexuality is the definer, you're going to be an exile in. It's not what defines you. There's nothing about the culture, the norms of the culture that are going to define you. You're a foreigner. You're an alien. Why? Because you're the people of God. You're a different nation. You're the different people. You're the possessions of God. You're the church. You've been called out. So you're going to look at the earth differently. And Christ might say, if you want to co-labor with me, that's me. That's the way I functioned. Uh, Every earthly culture I was in rejected me because I am my own. I am making a nation for myself, a people for myself, and that's par for the course. And standing aside and not being defined by is a part of what gives you the courage and the freedom to do the work and proclaim the message of reconciliation. Now, the Apostle Peter goes on. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. It's fascinating. One of the questions that we asked ourselves was this at the beginning of of this conversation is we said, if... If I accept Christ as my savior, I receive the forgiveness of my sin and I'm living for the one that died for me and my sins are forgiven, my my heart's wider than snow, my sins are are thrown as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says that there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ. So if I am a follower of Jesus, then hell is off the table for me, right? I I have no fear of going to hell. That's not a question in my mind at all. Right? Hell's off the table for me because I'm a follower of Jesus. So here's the question then that's raised. What's the point of the Christian life then? If we're not trying to earn our way to heaven and we're not trying to like be good enough to be close with God because Jesus does all of that for us, why does God tell us to do all this stuff with our behavior? Why does he have us counter sin? Why does he, what, what's the point of living the Christian life if I'm not afraid to go to hell. Well, right here, Peter explains all this, right? He says, you're foreigners and you're exiles, so, so live, wage war, um, uh, abstain from sinful desires of wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. This is the question that I would ask myself as a co-laborer. I would look at my life, I would look at my behaviors, and I would say this, is there any part of my life that distracts from the meaning of my life? Are there any behaviors that are a part of my life that distort, that distract from, that inhibit my ambassadorship? If people are going to look at me and see Christ reflected in me, is there anything that I have muddied up through my behavior and should, how can I get rid of that behavior in order that Christ be seen more clearly through me? So if, I, if I'm at work and there's norms at work, right? There, there's nor, everybody clocks out 15 minutes early. Everybody pads the numbers a little bit this way. Everybody, if I'm interacting with someone and that customer or that coworker, if they don't walk away from their interaction with me and see Christ, what they see is a cultural norm. Yeah, that guy, he goes to church, but he, he's just like everybody else. Yeah, I know, he's got that, 
you know, that Jesus thing on his, on his wall. He's got the little fish on his card, but he, 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 he cut the same. He said, if there is no distinction between me and norm, right, it's a distraction. I'm to live life in such a way that the, the exemplary nature of my behavior, the high degree of my integrity sets me apart so that when other people look at my life, they cannot accuse me of being a citizen of the world. They can only look at my life and say, that guy's different because Christ is in him. And this is where we deal with our sin and deal with our behavior, right? So there's sins that God lists in the Bible, gossip, materialism, uh, sexual immorality, all this kind of stuff. Why would he have us deal with that? Okay, let me give you an example. Sexual immorality is all through the Bible, just everywhere. God's like, no, 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 no. So why, why is sexual immorality a big deal to God? Sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside the confines of a covenant marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Why would that be? Why has God harp on that so much? What's the big deal with it, right? Because it's the norm of our culture. Well, you push back and you say, my main job in life is to portray the ministry of Christ and the message of Christ, to be an ambassador for Christ. So I step back a minute and I would say, what's the point of sex? What's the point of sex? To express love to someone. Wrong. Right? To make babies? No. Wrong. That's a byproduct of sex. That's not the point of sex. If God wanted us to have babies differently, he could have created this way. What's the point of sex? Well, the Bible tells us. The point of sex is to physically illustrate the heart connection between Christ and his people. Ephesians tells us the point of marriage, that in marriage there's roles. That's why there's gender roles in marriage. The husband plays the role of Christ. The wife plays the role of the church. The point of marriage is not to stabilize a culture. The point of marriage is that the husband physically lives out how Christ loves and pursues the church, and the wife physically lives out how the church responds and loves and connects with God, right? The two of them mutually submit to one another, and that is why, this is what the Bible says, that is why a man and a woman will leave their father and mother, and the two will become one flesh. What's the point of sex? The point of sex is so we can understand God. There's a physical illustration. There's a emotional connection. There's a oneness. There's a tie. There's an intimacy. It's all there to illustrate God's passion for us and our responsiveness to God. Why is the distortion of that a big deal to God then? Because we're distorting the love of God. That's why God would harp on that. He would say, yeah, 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 I don't even want Ephesians, I don't even want a hint of sexual immorality. Why? Because it distorts, it distracts, it takes away from. All of a sudden, if my people are not living sexually pure lives, they're not going to be effective ambassadors for me. It's the same reason why lying's a big deal to God. Why stealing's a big deal to God. Why materialism is a big deal. Why gossip is a big deal to God. Those are all big deals to God. Why? I guess because we got to stop smoking, drinking, chewing, dating girls who do, or, or we're not going to go to heaven. No, heaven's off the table. Why is that a big deal for God's people? Because if I am a follower of Christ and you can't trust what I said, 
And it's as if Christ is speaking. I just distorted the heart and the mind and the integrity of the one that I proclaim to live for. So the Apostle Peter comes in here and he's like, yeah, you you resist these things and you elevate your life. You don't elevate your life so that you can be self-righteous. The Bible would speak directly against that. You don't elevate your life so you can go to heaven. The Bible speaks directly against that. I elevate my life so that I can amplify the message of reconciliation. That's why a Christian would alter their behavior, see. And Peter says, right. People, when they walk away from you, they should be looking and saying, that dude is like, he's different. He's different. He doesn't join in. She doesn't join in. They, can you believe they're waiting until they get married? Right? It literally sparks a conversation that points someone's heart and mind to Christ. Now, the Apostle Peter goes on. This is, now we're, we're just now getting to the tough stuff, right? So he goes on, and this is the part that I struggled with. Here it is, verse 13. He goes on, if you want to co-labor with Christ, you've got to live like Christ, here it is. Submit yourself for the Lord's authority to every, for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as to the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by them to punish those who do wrong, commend those who do right. For it's the Lord's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Man, I was reading that this week. I'm like, oh. So in order to be a co-laborer with Christ, I submit myself to people. I, re- I asked God to change what the Bible said. I sent him an email. He hasn't, he hasn't shot back yet, but I'm like, can it be like I tell people what to do? Like, that would be a lot easier. I submit myself to people and people that I might not respect. The emperor, the governor, people in authority over me, right? The teacher, the cop, whoever. Here it is. What Peter is saying here is this. You... The you is you, holy nation, royal priesthood, people belonging to God, foreigners and aliens, okay? Foreigners and aliens, you're living an exemplary life and you're using your freedoms for Christ, not for yourself. It's fascinating what he says here. Look at it. He says this, live as free people. Do not use your freedoms as a cover for evil live as God's slaves. Fascinating. As a free person, we're all free people. Freest freest country in the history of humanity, right? We live in it. We're blessed. As a free person, when I think of my identity as an American and as an individual, as an American and as an individual, when, when being an American and being Jeff Bogue, an American, is the primary driver of my identity, this is what I think. I think I have rights. And I have rights that I am allowed to claim. And you have to honor my rights. Therefore, if you harm me, if you persecute me, 
my instinct as a person and my instinct as an American is to claim my rights and say, you don't have the right, you don't have the right to talk to me that way. You don't have the right to say those things to me. You don't have the right, I have the, I have the right to speak freely. I have the right to say what I want to say about the president. I have the right to get up and mouth off to my prophet or my teacher. I have, the, I have a right. When I understand my identity in Christ, and I enslave myself to Christ, all of a sudden my individual rights are not what dominates my behavior. The ministry and the message of Christ is what dominates my behavior. And when I look at Christ, he humbled himself and set aside his rights, right? He didn't fry everybody. He didn't call 10,000 angels. He didn't strike everybody. Did he have the right? Yeah, he never sinned. He was persecuted. What did he do instead? He submitted himself and he used his rights to accomplish his purpose. When the apostle Peter says, listen, live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as slaves to God. I have, I'm a free person. I have the right to free speech. And Peter says, right, so don't use it to blast the emperor. Use it to proclaim the message of Christ. Accomplish Christ's goals. Don't use your free speech to, I'm going to let that, I'm going to let that teacher know. Use it to proclaim the message of reconciliation. Because as a student, you can say what you want to say. You can personalize this. I'm going to let my wife, I'm going to let her know. I'm going to, I'm going to let Heidi know what I think. I have the right to speak freely in my house. I'm going to ask her if that's okay. <laughs> right? I'm going to use my freedom to do what? To bring my family to Christ. See? And Jesus might look at us and say, yeah, I, I understand your culture, but you're not a citizen of the culture. But I have the right, as an American, but we're not talking about that. You're my people. You're my possession. Do you want to co-labor with me? Yeah. Well, I did this differently then. When I interacted, when I had a right, I actually did not claim those rights. Now, this goes on. It's fascinating. Look at this. It's really cool. Why not? Verse 18, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters. So every, everybody who's under authority in the, would, be, would be the slave in this situation. Students, children, employees, right? Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to the masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh, for it's commendable if someone bears up under pain for unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing what's wrong and endure it? If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, it is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threat. Instead, he entrusted himself to he who judges justly. He himself bore our sin in our bodies on the cross that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. 
By his wounds we have been healed. Now he goes on. Look at verse uh, 9, chapter 3. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so you may inherit a blessing. Verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Here it is. I have a right, right? I'm my boss. I'm going to file a union appeal. He's a jerk. I'm out of here. I have a right. Or I'm enslaved to Christ. I have this job where my boss is a jerk. I'm going to do it the best of my ability, and I'm going to endure the persecution. Why? Because of the testimony that it is to my coworkers. I'm going to endure the persecution of being the only biblically-based person in my philosophy class at college. Why? For the testimony to my classmates. I'm going to endure persecution. Why? I was called to it. I was placed in this environment by God to be salt and light. I'm going to endure it as Christ did. He did not repay insult for insult. He did not claim his right. You hit me again and I'm going to turn you into a child. He did not repay. See? And I didn't, I'm not claiming my rights. You hit me, I'll hit you back. You, you want to start it? You want to start it? I'll finish it. I did not repay evil for evil. I replayed evil with blessing, and it caused me to stick out as a different type of people. The type of person that someone would look at and say, what is the reason for the hope within you? Why aren't you doing this? And guys, you go through the Bible, and you go through history, and what this does, ready? It gives you, it's an old term, it gives you what is called moral authority. The high standard, the lack of accusation on my life is what sets me apart. Would you think of Jesus the same way if he went kicking and screaming to the cross? Would you think of Jesus the same way if he appealed the unjust accusation for seven years and then finally lost it and they crucified him? Would you think of Jesus the same way if, if they crucified him and then he wiped everybody out and said, now we're even? Or is his moral authority found in his willingness to suffer and endure for a higher purpose that doesn't make sense on this culture, but makes all the sense in the world to the kingdom of heaven. This is not new. When you look at the scriptures and you look at people like Daniel and Joseph and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Naomi and John and Paul and Peter and Esther and Jeremiah and Jesus, you see the moral authority when you look at some of the people that we respect highly, when you look at Dr. Martin Luther King, when you look at Mother Teresa, when you look at Gandhi, when you look at people who endured an injustice, so much so that the high 
level of endurance and the right authority, the moral authority of their cause caused the accusers to be turned on by the people that they were trying to serve. Where finally the people rose up and said, this is, this is ridiculous. Stop that. Don't do that to that person. And Jesus looks and he says, listen, what if, what, if, what if you're going through a hard time has nothing to do with me forsaking you? What if living the Christian life is not all about blessing and getting whatever you want? What if the highest calling of the believer is to do the work of reconciliation? And what if the most active, powerful, unquestionable platform that I could give you is one of suffering? And what if as you endured, like I did, I set the example for you, what if that amplified the message of reconciliation? And Peter comes in here, I mean, this is tough stuff. I'm not wired for this. You hit me, I will hit you back. You hit me twice, I will get Heidi. <laughs> right? I, that's the way I'm wired. I'm a fighter. And I, I struggle with this. I'm like, Lord, really? Because I don't like the way things are going. I want to fight. Let's go. Right? I like to fight for fun. I do. Ask Heidi, it's miserable, right? I just, I'm like, let's argue. Come on, I'm bored. And Jesus would look and say, look, look at how the message of reconciliation came to you. Look at how people, they, nobody questions whether Jesus was a good person. No one questions Christ's moral authority. They may question if he's God or not, but they do not question his life. They do not question his love. They do not question his willingness to lay himself down. And Jesus might look at us today and say, yeah, you you want to be my ambassador? You, you want, as if I myself show up, you want to reflect me that well? Remember who you are. Remember that th- this world does not define you. Purify your behavior so that you don't distract from me. And then don't fight, submit. And, and when, when you can't submit anymore, because the authorities want to take you into sin, endure. Don't repay evil with evil, right? And let me tell you something. When you do that, people will look to you like they look to me and say, tell me the reason for the hope that's within you. And now you're living. And you're living for the things that I've called you to live to. Now, here's the last thing I put in your notes. If you want to co-labor with Jesus, you have to be the doorway to Christ. This is all the way back, verse 9, chapter 2. You are a chosen people, the royal priesthood. The priests were the doorway to God. When you wanted to find God in the Old Testament, you went to the priests. In the New Testament, when you want to find God, you go to his people. 
And what I want to be in my life, what I'm called to be more than anything else is a doorway to God. That when people look at me, at you, at us, they would think if I wanted to find Christ, I would go to them. They wouldn't think that guy goes to church. They wouldn't think, oh, that guy's nice. They would think if I want to find Christ, I would go to them. And as a follower of Jesus, if I want to be spiritually mature, right, then the defining feature of my life is that when people see me, they actually see Christ. That when they walk away from me, they walk away feeling as if they've interacted with Christ. Right? And I would take them there. Because mature disciples make disciples. Parents have kids. And I am doing the work, proclaiming the message of reconciliation. I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ, and I co-labor with him. So, what if? What if this world is not my home, and I'm just a passing through? If I plug that into my life equation, what would the outcome be? What if, as a follower of Christ, I have the answers that people are looking for? I, I just need to help them know that they can find them in me. What if I changed my life? What if I made the path to Christ very clear? so that someone might look at me and say, tell me the reason for the hope that's within you. What if? What if most of my life will not be lived on the planet? What if my life on earth is a vapor or a mist? That's what the Bible calls it. That I'm poof, here and gone. And so I don't live for this little sliver of my life I live as a foreigner in an exile, and what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. And what if I'm on the planet now to invest my life in such a way that my life echoes through eternity, right? Nobody's going to care how much money you made 100 years from now. When, when your grandkids are sitting around talking about you, they're not going to say, man, you remember when he drove that new F-150? Ah, it changed my life. <laughs> Nobody's going to care what zip code you live in. Nobody's going to care how good of shape you're in. Nobody's going to care what hood ornaments on your car. Nobody's going to care about your degree. Nobody's going to care about your title at work. You know what they're going to talk about? When I talk to my boys about their grandfather, my dad, you know what I talk to them about? I look at them, I say, you know what's true about your, your granddad? I never once heard your grandfather say a curse word. Never in my life. I never once, ever, I don't know of one lie your grandfather ever told. Your grandfather's integrity was so high, I don't know anyone who knows of a lie he ever told. Your granddad, he'd do anything for anybody. 
I remember this one time. These are stories we tell. I remember this one time. It's a true story. My dad took some homeless, some homeless guy, knocked on our door, and lived in a tent in our backyard. <laughs> your granddad, I remember your grandmother. You know what your, your grandma did? She was the boss in a nursing home, and one of her employees had a surgery, and there was no one to take care of her. You know what she did? She took her minimum wage worker, and they lived, she lived with us for a month. Mom and dad took her in, helped her rehab, get back on her feet, and paid her bills in the meantime because she couldn't work. Nobody gives a rip what you wear, what you do, what you own. Nobody's going to care. They're going to care about your integrity. They're going to care about your selflessness. They're going to care about your generosity. They're going to care about how you represented Christ. And that's going to echo. That's going to change people. That's going to affect eternity. And you, you chosen people, Roy, you're going to get to be with the Lord. You're going to get to watch all of that happen. And the joy of the Lord and the purpose of the Lord and the calling of the Lord, see? This... This foreigner exile life, these are light and momentary troubles that add up to an eternal glory, is the way the Apostle Paul says it. So what if that's the way life works? What if that's the point? What if something temporary is never worth the things that are eternal? And what if we lived that way? All right. I know, I know this is a ton to download. I know it is. It, it was a ton. I had a week <laughs> to download it. I'm still, it's still messing with my head. But guys, this is the high calling. That's what the scripture calls it. This is the real stuff. You want to co-labor with Jesus the way it shows up. So let's take some time, right? Before we get into the craziness of the holidays and all that kind of stuff, let's be still for a few minutes. And would you spend some time with the Lord? And would you would you think and would you pray? Would you consider? Right? It's it's an alternative lifestyle. Would you consider that there's maybe something different? And if you're a follower of Jesus, would you ask the Holy Spirit open your mind? I I pray this prayer about five times this week because I watch all that's going on in the world I just want to go stand nose to nose with people I had to Lord me personally I'm not worried about the globe I'm not worried about the government me personally open my mind change my heart I want to yield and submit to you okay so ask the band to come out I'll pray for us and you think and you pray and uh, you let God show you where you need to go, okay? Jesus, we love you. Thanks for loving us. Help us, God. This stuff is hard. It's unnatural. But this is where you are supernatural. You overcome it. You're bigger than. And so, God, help us. Holy Spirit, show us parts of our heart that we 
hold on to, that we won't yield to. And then God, motivate us that above everything, we want to please and honor you. We live for the one who died for us. So God, help us with that in every individual circumstance. We love you. We thank you. We want to co-labor with you. Help us to that end, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.